0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel Rochester. Good morning. We're going to be looking at the peace offering. And so we'll be looking at the peace offering and then we'll also be going into chapter 4 looking at the sin offering So the peace offering we've been going through the different offerings. We we talked about the burnt offering uh, Chapter 1 the grain offering chapter 2 and now we're at the peace offering well like the burnt offering and like the grain offering (laughs) uh the on a national level for the children of israel uh, this was a mandatory offering it was part of their sacrifices that they did on an on a regular basis on a daily basis and then at new you know festivals and and feasts of the lord um, and so it accompanied all the other sacrifices you also were required to do this at the completion of a vow you recall in the new testament that uh, uh paul uh accomplished or performed his vow of of uh, the Nazarite vow, I believe it was, and he had to go and he offered a peace offering. So these things were required on a national level, but on a personal level, it was voluntary. If you just wanted to offer a peace offering to the Lord, you could do that at any time. Like the burn offering, the person bringing this offering, the peace offering, to the tabernacle would be an animal. He would lay his hands on the animal, and he himself would cut the throat of the animal just like the other sacrifices we mentioned last two chapters. Although unlike the burn offering, there's a difference here. This sacrifice was not completely consumed on the brazen altar. The brazen altar, the animal was completely consumed, uh, but not during the peace offering. We'll look at that in a little bit here. There's a lot of symbolism that we've looked at and we discussed about the offering so far. The, the, the burn offering, the, the, the sacrificial animal being completely consumed on the altar is a picture of Christ's total and complete sacrifice for you and I. I mean, he completely laid down his life for us. The grain offering, we saw the symbolism of Christ in the components of the grain offering. And I'll just go through them briefly. Uh, one of the components is sifted wheat. The, the, the best of the best of the kernels of the wheat, ground fine, there's no, no holes, no, you know, it was just just pure, the best flour that was possible. And we see that, you know, Jesus was sifted uh, when he was baptized, he went into the wilderness. He was sifted for 40 days. He was tested by the devil. He came out pure, came out sinless. He didn't give in to those temptations. And we see that all through his life. Frankincense was the next ingredient. It was, uh, it was just it's symbolic of prayer. And you know the interesting thing, if you look through the Gospels and you study the life of Christ in the four Gospels, he was a man of prayer always going to the father he wouldn't do anything without the father guiding him and directing him he'd often wake up way before his disciples were he'd be a man of prayer and so we see that in uh, Jesus Christ and then the olive oil was part of the the grain offering also and and throughout the scriptures olive or all oil in general is a picture of the Holy Spirit and if you look at Jesus's life from, from the moment he was conceived, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he was he was born, and, and you just see the Holy Spirit on his life throughout his ministry. And so we see that in there, the the grain offering had to have no leaven, like no yeast for rising it, uh, no honey, and uh, we just we talked about that last week. It's really a picture of corruption, and uh, and so Jesus was without sin and without corruption. And so while the grain offering was not to have honey or yeast, it was to have salt. In fact, every offering was to have salt. And salt's a picture of grace in the Bible. You know, it's seasoning, right? You use salt to add flavor to things. And Jesus's life was such that he drew people to him. Sinners came to Jesus because there was something about him. That just attracted them. He had a he had a flavor. He had a savory presence that they wanted to be around him. Salt's also used per, for preserving, and it speaks of the, the 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 salt being added to all the all the 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 offerings, recognizing the covenant with God that God is faithful. It's a perpetual so, a symbol of perpetuality, if that's the right word to use. Um, but basically, Christ's faithfulness. We see that in Christ faithful to die on the cross for us, faithful even now to pray for us as he's in heaven, faithful for to give us of our sins, he's faithful. And then also salt has an antiseptic effect to it too. And those people, whoever came in contact with Christ, they never left the same. They always left unchanged, or they always left change, excuse me. And so the grain offering, we just see Christ in in the components. This morning, we're looking at the peace offering. And in the peace offering, what we see is that uh, Jesus Christ, again, these all point to Christ. He provides peace between me, a sinner, and a holy God. That's what the the peace offering pictures. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, who you were, who, uh, excuse me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus Christ is our peace. Romans 8, 7, why do we need peace? Or uh, you might say, you know, I'm not, I'm not at war with God. Well, yeah, before Christ came into your life, you were. Romans 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind, that's the fleshly mind, that's, that's the mind of the natural man, is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. You and I are, were enemies of the cross prior to our salvation. We were hostile toward God. We were in opposition to him. Colossians 1:19 and 20, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So that's what we're looking at, the peace offering. Uh, that verse continues. Verse 21 and 22 And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's the significance of having peace with God. We're holy in God's eyes, blameless, and we're above reproach, and we can enter into his presence. What a blessing that is. Well, let's look at the peace offering. Chapter 3, verse 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the, uh, the two kidneys Uh, excuse me, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the the kidneys he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, uh, an offering made by fire to sweet aroma. I I think I maybe skipped a part in that, but you get the idea here, I think. Um, This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your generations. Yeah, in all This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. Now, there's some interesting things to note in this chapter. Like I mentioned earlier, this was the only offering that was shared between the Lord, the priests, and the people bringing the offering to the Lord. Uh, only a portion of the animal, which we we, we discovered the kidneys and the fat and the, the, that stuff, that was what was burned on the altar to the Lord. We'll find out. It doesn't mention it in this chapter, but down in Leviticus chapter 7, we'll find out that the breast and right thigh belong to the priest of this sacrifice to eat. That would remain, and the priest would eat that. The rest of the animal was given back to the person uh, who brought it, and they were to cut it and cook it and eat it as a family communal meal. So, in effect, uh, you, you have the Lord, his portion's the fat and the kidneys and all that. The priest's portion was the breast and the thigh. And then the offerers was the rest of the meat of the sacrifice. So, in a sense, um, it, it symbolized fellowship and communion with all the parties involved. Everyone was partaking of that same sacrificial animal. And it's also interesting to note that the animal from the herd or from the flock could be either male or female, as long as it was without blemish, male or female. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. See, the walls that might separate us in the, in the natural world, you know, male, female, rich, poor, uh, you know, uh, slave, free, whatever, whatever might separate us, they're removed by Christ's sacrifice. We have that common fellowship with one another. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we have peace with God and fellowship with him. But we also have fellowship with one another. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia in the New Testament, and it literally means communion, participation, and intimacy. And because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we have koinonia, we have fellowship, we have the, the communion, the participation, the intimacy with God the Father. We see that in 1 John 1, 1.5. We also have that fellowship, that koinonia with Jesus Christ, his son, 1 Corinthians 1, nine. We also have it with the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And finally, we also have it with one another in 1 John 1, seven, and with our fellow priests. Because, you know, as it says in 2 Peter 2.9, you and I are a royal priesthood. So we have fellowship not only with the Lord, but with one another. And that's what this peace offering is all picturing. So the requirement for the person bringing the peace offering to put his hand on the head of the animal before cutting his sword, it's similar to the other sacrifices that we mentioned before. It's, a, it's, it's confessing your sins and it's a, for identification. In other words, we have to understand that for in order for me to have peace with God, this innocent substitute is going to die in my place for my sin. See, without Christ's death on the cross and my place for my sin, I would have no peace with God. You would have no peace with God. The portion that belonged to the Lord and was burned on the altar, we find out it's the fat, the kidneys, and the caul, as some people call it. It's a membrane. It's a, it's a smooth membrane that lines the cavity of the abdomen. It covers the stomach. And I'm not a doctor or anything, but it covers the, the stomach, the liver, and the intestines, and then also the fat tail of the sheep. And I was doing a little research, and evidently the sheep in the Middle East, there's certain uh, uh, types of sheep out there that had like very, very heavy, uh, tails. I mean, we were talking like, I don't know, one was 15 pounds, another was up to like 60 pounds or something of, of just fat tails. And that was what was to be offered to the Lord. Why does the Lord want the fat? Why does the Lord want these? Well, there's a spiritual reason, I think, and there's also a practical reason. The spiritual reason, I think what Adam Clark, he's a, uh, oh, you know what? I got to back up here. What slide are we on? You want to go to the next slide? Ah, You might say, what is that? Um, The interesting thing, if you think about the fat and uh, uh, the offering of the fat, it goes all the way back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. And it's an interesting passage of scripture. Abel, Adam and Eve's son, He brought, it says in Genesis 4, verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And then you know the story, right? Cain, he was a farmer. He brought the produce from the field and offered it to the Lord, but the Lord was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. And that's kind of an interesting, it's like, why? Was God, you know, what was it about Cain's offering that wasn't acceptable? Well, what's interesting is you go even further back into the for Adam and Eve, to I think it's Genesis chapter three, in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve they sin against God, the first sin committed, and what do they do? Now they've got guilt and shame, so then they they hide themselves because they they all of a sudden realize that they're naked, and then they and then they they cover themselves with fig leaves, and then and then the Lord you know finds them. The Lord seeks them out there in the garden. And uh, you know that whole story. uh, that, That, you know, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed Satan, or, yeah, Satan the serpent, and the rest is history basically from there. But what's interesting in that chapter is the Lord God removes their fig leaves and he gives them animal skins. And if you think about it, that would have been the first time that an animal was slain. And what was it slain for? It was slain to provide a covering for Adam and Eve the first sacrifice offered, and it probably was a lamb. We're not told that, but it probably was a lamb. And so in that, God was probably teaching, even back then, that there had to be a death of a substitute because of sin. Someone had to die for their sin, and this innocent animal was being slain. And so God was undoubtedly teaching Adam and Eve about offerings and how to offer sacrifices to him. And Abel did that. Cain. The only thing I can tell is that he was worshiping on God on his own terms. I'm not going to offer the sacrifice. I'm going to bring my, the stuff that I produced, I'm going to bring that to God. And it wasn't accepted. So the best part belonged to the Lord. Why does the Lord want the fat, as I mentioned earlier? (laughs) Well, there's a spiritual reason. And Adam Clark, a commentator, I think he's got a good explanation, says, he required the most perfect of all the animals and the best parts of these perfect animals. This he did, not that he needed anything, but to show the perfection of his nature and and the purity of his service. Had he condescended to receive the meanest animals and the meanest parts of animals as his offerings, what opinion could his worshipers have entertained of the perfection of his nature? If such imperfect offerings were worthy of this God, then his nature must be only worthy of such offerings. If you just give God anything, it doesn't matter, you know. You, we start having this lower opinion of God, of who God is and his holiness and his, what he requires and what he's worthy of. I think that's a good explanation of the spiritual reason. There also was a practical reason. Blood, cholesterol, and heart disease. You know, the children of Israel, they didn't know anything about that. But you know, God the Maker knew that. Parasites can be found in fatty tissues of animals. So God was, in a sense, in a practical level, protecting them from diseases. So why does God get the fat? So we won't get fat. (laughs) You think about it. That was my favorite shirt. I can't wear that (laughs) anymore. All right. Hey, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So. Not only do we have peace with God, but now we have access to God and we have hope in God because of his sacrifice. And so Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these offerings that we've looked at so far. All the offerings that we're going to be looking at, they all picture Jesus Christ. But we also see application for you and I. And I mentioned that uh, last week and the week before. For the burnt offering, the, the application for you and I. Of course, Christ already did all there's nothing more that we can add to what Christ did for us but out of love for him we're to submit our whole bodies our whole minds and our whole souls to him to love him with all our heart mind and soul and all our strength he's worthy of it all and so there's a picture there's an application for us in the burn offering in the grain offering our daily reliance upon him for our provisions because all, all the ingredients of the grain offerings were, were things that they had to do. I mean, they, they, they har- of course, the grain grew by itself, but they had to harvest it. They had to sift it. They had to mill it. They had to do everything to prepare it. Uh, you know, all the ingredients, it, it was effort. It was a, and, and so it represented the work, the labor of man. And so uh, the grain offering is just a recognition that, man, we rely daily on God for his provisions. And then it's our thankfulness for those provisions that he's blessed us with. And then now the peace offering. What's the application for us? I think it's pretty simple. It's partaking in communion, partaking in communion, the Lord's Supper, where we have fellowship with Christ. But you know what we're doing? When we're having communion as a body, we're also in fellowship with one another. That's what communion symbolizes in pictures. A point I want to mention here, the peace offering was not performed to make peace with God. That's not the purpose of this peace offering. We're not doing it to make peace. It was an offering to enjoy peace with God because he already made the peace with us. It's just like communion. I I don't partake of communion to to like, okay, I've sinned, I gotta partake of communion and now I'm gonna be in a right relationship. No, communion doesn't do that. Communion just, it, it, it celebrates what Christ already did for us. It recognizes what Christ already did. The offering to make peace with God was the sin offering. And that's in chapter four that we're gonna be looking at next. The sin offering. Unlike the burn offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, on a personal level, this was not mandatory. This was requ- or excuse me, it was not voluntary. It was required. It was mandatory as necessary. W- when would it be required? When we sinned. Look at chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. Sin. Sin. What is that? The, the word literally means to miss the mark or to fail. What's the mark? The mark is God's standard of holiness. It's to fail what God's standard of holiness is. It's to, it's to fail what God's expected from me. Now, one thing I was, you know, I, I put a graphic up there just to kind of give us an idea. But don't be fooled by that graphic. It's not like, you know, I, I, I got really close to the bullseye, but I just, just missed it. For you and I, our arrows aren't even on the picture. <laughs> They're not even close. That's how far we've missed. That's how far we have fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans three, twenty-three. Here it talks about unintentional sin. I'm just trying to think, how do you explain unintentional sin? I can give a perfect example. One year, I got on my motorcycle, and I rode all the way from Minnesota to California. and So I'm going through all these different states. You know, as you're going through these states, some states have helmet laws. Some states don't. Minnesota doesn't have a helmet law. When you get to California, they do. Now, if I'm like, you know what? I'm from Minnesota. We don't have a helmet law. I'm just going to ride my, um, forget the helmet. And you get to California, and you get pulled over by a, a chip, you know, or one of those guys pull you over on their, on their you know, whatever, um, paunch, was it? Yeah, Ponch pulls you over, whatever. Um, you know, you, you go, Why? I didn't know that yeah, I'm from Minnesota, I didn't know there was a there was a helmet law. You know what his response is? You're supposed to know. You have to know. And so for me, I, had to, I just figured, you know what, I'm just going to wear a helmet all the way, because my wife wouldn't let me not wear a helmet, but <laughs> I'm just going to wear a helmet all the way through anyways, whether it's a helmet law or not a helmet law, because I just don't want to deal with that. See, it doesn't matter if you didn't know it was a sin or not, or uh, an infraction of the law in this case. You're still guilty. It's just now you're aware of it. That's kind of what intentional sin is like. It doesn't depend on my knowledge. It's still the law, and I violated it. And when I'm made aware of it, now I have to do something about it. And that's under the old covenant. It would have been the sin offering here in chapter 4. Interesting, in this chapter, there's four categories of sinners needing a sin offering. And the first one might be a surprise to you. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Who's the anointed priest? That would have been the high priest. That would have been Aaron or one of his sons. The high priest. High priest sins? Yeah, why? Because he's a man, just like you and I. He's a human. His sin, and notice it says, if if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. It wasn't just guilt on him, but the guilt on the people. You see, his sin, because of his his authority and his position and his influence, his sin affected others around him. That's why James says this in chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. It's interesting. There's some young guys that always want to be, you know, I want to become a Bible teacher. And, and, you know, yeah, that's great if the Lord's called you into that. But realize that there's a high calling. There's a high calling. There's a there higher expectation. That To me, that makes me shudder sometimes when I think about it. Well, the fact that the anointed priest sins, it just spoke to the weakness of the old covenant. Why? Because the mediators were men with a sin nature like everybody else. But in, in Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 26, Jesus, what a beautiful picture. Jesus, for such a high priest was fitting for us who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and he has become higher than the heavens. Our high priest never sinned. Our high peace, priest, he, he's perpetually in that role of priest. So the priest here that sinned, he was to offer a young bull without a blemish. Look at verse 4. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the blood Uh, Bull's blood, and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the blood was to be sprinkled seven times before the Lord. And in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, when Moses, it describes how when Moses consecrated the tabernacle, you know, they, they, God gave him directions on what, how to build a tabernacle and all the, art, the, the furniture and the clothing and everything. And so Moses obeyed. They built everything. They had it all set. Then they had to consecrate it. And that was through sprinkling of blood. And so sprinkling of blood. In Hebrews 9, 21 and 22, it describes this. It says, Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. So this sprinkling is is picturing that. Because of the priest's sins, The things that he touched, so to speak, the things that he were involved with in his service in the tabernacle needed to be sprinkled with blood. It needed to have the blood, shed blood applied to it. So blood had to be applied or sprinkled in front of the veil of the sanctuary. This was inside the holy place. The veil was between the holy place and the holy of holy places. So just a common person wouldn't be in this place, but the priest would. He'd be ministering in the holy place. The veil was what separated, like I said, the holy place from the holy of holies. And sinning against the God, his sin is against the holiness of God. And so the veil needed to have blood sprinkled. It, had to have, it needed to have the shed blood applied to it. Blood was also to be applied on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. So as the priest went in to the tabernacle on one side, there was the, the altar of incense. And, and after he had done all the other sacrifices outside of the brazen altar, he would enter into the holy place. He would go to the altar of incense, and he would put the incense on the altar before the Lord God. And it was a a picture of prayer rising up before the Lord. You know, sin hinders prayers. It hinders our prayer life. And so our prayer life needs to have the blood applied to it as well. The remaining blood was poured out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And, And if you look at it, these are all the places in the tabernacle that the priest ministered before the Lord. Everything that he touched, it had to be, have blood applied to it. You know, sometimes we tend to think sin, some sins are trivial, right? They have no impact. You know, it's just me, it's just not affecting anybody else. Uh, and we can continue on, and you know, nobody's being harmed by it or whatever. But what we don't realize is that if sin affects, it can affect our ministries, it can affect our jobs, it can affect our marriages, our families, relationships. Sin doesn't just affect me, it affects everybody around me. And so, The reality is that sin pollutes everything we touch. And so we need to apply the blood, so to speak, to every area of our lives. Verse 8, he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver uh, above the kidneys. He shall remove it, as it was taken from the bowl of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering." So this is quite similar to the peace offering. The same fat and the same organs, th- those things were still to be burned on, uh, just like the peace offering on the altar. The only difference is what happens next in verse 11. But the bull's hide in all its flesh, with its heads and legs, its entrails and offal. The whole bowl he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So with the peace offering, the priest was to eat the uh, breast and the, and the right thigh. I mentioned that. But it's not the case with, his own, suff- with his, own, uh, his own sin offering, I should say, or the priest offering. The remaining pieces of the bowl, the hide, the legs, the entrails, everything was to be brought outside the camp and burned at the place where, they, uh, where the ashes from all the other offerings were discarded. What that's meant to portray is the reality to the priest that his sin causes separation. Sin breaks fellowship. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, verses 11 and 12, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. That was a very vivid picture for the, for the Jewish person. Later on, we're gonna get into talking about uh, leprosy, later on in, in, in Leviticus. And When you were a leper, and lepers, uh, leprosy, I'll give you a sneak peek, it's a, it's a picture of sin. And when you had leprosy, you were separated because sin causes separation. And so you had to be outside the camp. You were like outcast. Well, Jesus was crucified outside the camp, a very picture of this bull being brought outside the camp. He suffered separation from the Father so that you and I would never have to. He did it for us. Now we go to another category of people who sin. Verse 13, Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which should not be done, and are guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin, and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. So the whole assembly, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, they sinned against the Lord. Maybe they, maybe they didn't do something right in one of the festival feasts or something. They, they, or something happened. Once they become aware that they have sinned, now they have to do something about it. And here the assembly is to offer a young bull. Verse 15, and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So, you know, you can, this is a p- very practical. You couldn't have the whole congregation, congregation of Israel coming in to lay hands on the bull, right? I mean, it just wouldn't work. So the re- representatives, the elders of the people, they lay their hands, confessing their sins and the sins of the people they represent. You know, it's a beautiful picture in that, too, when I think about that. It reminds me of prophets, some of the prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah's one. Daniel is another. Moses is one. These are those who would pray and intercede on behalf of the people. Lord, we've sinned against you. Forgive us. That's a heart of, that's a true heart of a prophet. It's not, you know, remember Isaiah. You know, he, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, he's woe is this, woe is that. He's, he's pronouncing woe on all these people and stuff. And then he sees the Lord and he goes, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the heart of a prophet. But we need more people today that are just, you know, sometimes we look at the people out there. I talk about out there in the world. And we go, man, those dirty, rotten finks, you know, those Democrats. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, We make all these judgments on all these people. Them, them, them. And we condemn, and we condemn, and we condemn. But we don't realize they're part of us. It's our nation that's sick. We all need, we need to be on our knees repenting before the Lord. Well, let's move on here. Verse 16. The United priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the, in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. And he shall do with the bowl as he did with the bowl as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them." In chapter one, I, in the introduction to Leviticus, I talked about the word atonement. It's the word kafar, and it means to cover or to shelter. And this is the atonement is the way God mercifully shelters the sinner from the punishment of his or her sin by providing an atonement, the death of an animal, of an innocent animal, for the, the substitutionary death for my sin, for your sin. Notice that it doesn't say so. The priest shall make atonement for them and I'll think about forgiving them. It's like, you know what, I'm gonna wait and see. No, it says, it shall be forgiven them. That's, that's a beautiful point to bring out. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, It's not like, well, I wonder if God's going to forgive me. No, he will forgive you. He's faithful to forgive you. He's just to forgive you. He's just to cleanse you from your sins, too. So what happens now? Verse 21, then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. So that's the second category, the assembly. Now we get to another category of sinner. Verse 22, when a ruler has sinned, and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not be done, and is guilty of his sin which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. So now it's not a bull, now it's a kid of the goats, a male kid. And this is this ruler would probably be like a tribal leader, uh, leader. you know, one of the one of the rulers of the tribes of, of the of the children of Israel. Verse 24, He shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin and it shall be forgiven him. And now, finally, we get to the last category of sinner, verse 27. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, uh, uh, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. So the common people. What is he talking about? He's talking about an individual, not a, not a person in civic or tribal leadership, not a person in spiritual leadership like, the, like the, uh, the high priest, just an average man or woman. Their sacrifice is a female kid or goat. And if you look at it, it started with the bull for the, for, the, for the priest and then the, the assembly, and then it went down to a male goat, and now it's a female goat. And you see a decreasing value associated with the offering based on the decreasing level of influence and spiritual knowledge and spiritual authority. There, there's just a, a decreasing. Jesus said it, put it this way in Luke 12, verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more." Some ways, I feel sorry for you guys. You guys should go to a church where they don't teach. They just teach fluff, make you feel good, because then you're not as responsible. But now you are. <laughs> you hear the word of God. Now you're responsible for what do you do with the word of God? You know, you're, you're, I always pray before a service that the Spirit would just speak to me, speak through me, speak to you. And you know, if you're if the if the Lord's laying something on your heart, you know, He's just he's just gently speaking to you about something. You're you're now you're responsible for whatever He's revealed to you. Anyways should have had that disclaimer before you walked in the door. <laughs> all right, verse 29. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, and, its, and uh, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest, priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord so the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord so the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him so here we have procedures for every category of person in the nation of Israel that commits unintentional sin the common people the rulers the congregation uh, at large and the priests we're going to be talking about other sins as we go into other, uh, the next chapter, actually, uh, in Leviticus later on, chapter 5. You know, I don't think any of you guys, I know I certainly didn't wake up this morning go, you know what, I intend to sin against the Lord today. I don't think anybody does, if you're a born-again believer in the Lord, that is. As Christians, you know, we're, we're, we're probably, you know what, I'm going to live my life for the Lord today, and then something happens and we sin. Why do we do that? Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's a battle going on with us. Are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, quickening our spirit? Or are we going to submit to the flesh, our old nature? We're going to just do what we've done in the past. There's that battle that goes on in each one of us. The reality is we do sin against the Lord, right? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us are above that. But I love Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I hope that encourages you this morning. It continues, it says, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, I mentioned earlier the atonement because it's under the old covenant. It, w- it, was to, it was to cover, it was to shelter. And, and so these these sacrifices, they had to be done over and over and over again, constantly, because it only covered the sin. It didn't remove the sin. And so there was a constant reminder every year, like Day of Atonement, I'm still a sinner, I'm still a sinner, and, and, and so you go through this. That's the atonement in the Old Testament. But under the New Testament, there's a new word that comes into play for you and I, and that's reconciliation. Reconciliation, that means to change. And it it doesn't mean that God changes. What happens is God takes our sin upon himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dies, and he becomes the atonement for us. And so for us, now there's a relationship of peace established with God. It was prevented before because of my sin, but now Jesus Christ, he's, he's provided that sacrifice and now I have peace with God. It's not God who changed, but he's provided a way for you and I to change. That's why I love, I'm going to close with this, Second Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespass to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I want to just stop there for a moment. You know, the reason why we cancel all these different things this week, it's not like, you know, Teresa and I don't want to do anything. We, We want to take a week off. It's not that at all. We know that everybody's schedule is busy. We know that you know some of you are, are you're committed to this fellowship and you're you're so many things and we are we, blessed by that, and and uh, hopefully you're encouraged in that too. But what we wanted to do is just take a step back and go, you know what? Let's give everybody some breathing time and let's focus on Thursday. Thursday's our our outreach. We we'll get a lot of people coming through here. Last year we got about 150 people that we handed out tracks to. And and we've been committed the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. Now we want to share it with those around us. Reconciliation that they can have. And so that's why we do this. Ministry. So the ministry it's just to encourage as many of you as possible to come out. We, we only need I don't know five five or six cars. Elsie's not in here. I think it's like five cars or something like that. And but you know what? Just being there and talking to people and and just greeting people and getting to know people, encouraging people. That's what it's all about. That's the ministry of reconciliation that you and I have and we're giving you an opportunity to do that on Thursday so I encourage you you know maybe you say well I'm not doing a car you know just come out and just fellowship with us and, and share it will be awesome so we've been committed we've we've been reconciled and the ministry of reconciliation the word of reconciliation has been committed to us that's why we're sharing the wordless gospel with the kids uh, on Thursday now then We as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's what it means, reconciliation. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, when I reconcile my checkbook, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've, I've got $5,000. The bank says, no, you've got 250 bucks. He's <laughs> like, wait a minute. Who's right? And I've got to reconcile it. Well, generally, the bank's usually right. So at least in my experience, the bank's been right. And so now I've got I've to reconcile it. So I've, there's a change that has to take place. Now, the bank's not going to change to my, I say, you know what? My checkbook, my register says, you know, $5,000. The bank says, no, they're not going to change it. I have to change to theirs. I have to be reconciled to theirs. See, God's holiness is there. I'm here. There's a change that has to take place, and I can't do it. That's what God does through his sacrifice. He makes the change. He does the reconciliation for us. So now we're both on the same page. Now I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with God. I have fellowship with him. And I have fellowship with one another who also has been reconciled to. That's the beauty of the peace offering, the sin offering. It's all what makes it possible for us. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.